This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. When it comes down to it, what are we at our core? We are North American Watchfires. Hello and welcome to the North American Waterfowler podcast. My name is Elliot. We've got something really, really special that I'm excited about. I'm having a guest on named Kenny Begno. He is a member of my Patreon community. And once a month, I am drawing someone from Patreon to come on the podcast and just let me get to know him. I, I am really interested to find out about all the different places that people hunt and fish in North America. And Kenny happens to be from Louisiana. I keep getting the Southern theme that's coming on my life. And I already recorded with him. I really, really enjoyed this episode. We talked about hogs. We talked about alligators. We talked about teal. I, I'm serious. I think I probably could have taught. I could have let that go for probably much, much longer than what it was. I just so enjoyed having a conversation with Kenny. Um, but before we get to that, I want to do a couple of things. I want to tell you on what's going on in my life. Big news. The Flatlander Kennels podcast with Chris Jobman episode one is here. It is ready to go and it has been released. So if you are into dogs and want to learn about dogs and dog training on the hunting level, on the hunt test level, Check it out. It's on all the um, podcast outlets. The Flatlander Kennels podcast with Chris Jobman. I am producing that. He's the mastermind of it because he's got all the dog knowledge. He is highly, highly decorated. One of the most highly decorated um, hunting dog trainers in North America. So you're going to want to get a part of that. 
So by the time you're hearing this, I have been on two snow goose hunts. Right now, I'm gearing up for them. I'm heading out. I got spring break coming up. I'm heading out with Golden Boy, and we are going to get on some snow geese. It is right now. I'm going to hunt on – this is the latest snow goose hunting that I've ever attempted to do. Normally, in this part of the state, if you get into the second weekend of March, they are gone. But we have had a lot of cold temps. Spring just doesn't want to get here, and we still have snow geese around. And Golden and I are going to try something. I'm glad I haven't gone out yet because he and his dad have had a spread set out. Permanent spread. about I think they're about a 1,000 decoys is what Golden and the Golden Dad have. And so they've set out this permanent spread. It's this pasture with this pond. And, man, it's been a struggle for them. It has been an absolute struggle. Um, I keep checking how they're doing, and it's like Saturday they shot zero. Sunday they shot seven. It's been like three weekends in a row they've been going at it. And I think in three weekends, six, seven days, because I know they, they did a Monday here and there, between six and eight days, I think I'm guessing they've shot almost 20 birds. And they're just spending hours and hours and hours and hours in this pond. And I talk to Golden Bunny. He's like, I'm done. I'm done with this. <laughs> they're just spending hours of time out there, which hours and hours of time with your dad is never a bad thing. It's never a bad thing. But they want some more action. So Golden and I are going to move to the marsh. And we've been talking about doing this. Um, I think we can go a much smaller spread and move the spread into a marsh area that's big enough to not disturb the roost, but small enough that I think that we can hopefully get some attention and do some decoy. We're going to see. We're going to use like two, 300 decoys, and we're going to take Georgie and Stella, and we're, I'm really excited about it. We're going to try it. I'm going to hang out at Golden's home, and so I'm really, really pumped up about doing that i'm also getting into i'm gearing up for spring hunt test season so g and i have been doing a lot of work right now i'm focusing on the hrc and and for those of you that don't know the way the dog training works in hrc is you've got the started seasoned and finished last year georgie and i went to four events she did one day of started and passed it because i my son graduated on the saturday so i couldn't attend it Went there Sunday. She passed and started on Sunday. And then we went right into season. We went to three different seasoned events. Um, and, oh, no, I'm sorry. We, only went, we did two season events. We did one, five tests total. Two weekends of season, one day of started. And you have to pass four season tests to be um, to have your season title, which Georgie did. She nailed it. She was absolute perfection. Um, she didn't, she did not stutter step one bit in those seasoned hunt tests. So she passed those, she got her points and so now she's titled. And what that means is entitled is now officially, um, her registered name is HR Georgie. Actually, it's actually, it's HR FDH Georgie, um, hunting retriever FDH Georgie. And so now we are moving into finished. And if she's got to get four passes, so you have a, you can pass on Saturday and Sundays, so you can pass twice on a weekend. And if she gets her four passes, then she will be HRCH FDH Georgie, which would be hunting retriever champion Georgie. And the thought, I can tell you what, I've never put in the effort to a dog like I put in to Georgie because I was partnered with. Chris Jobin at Flatlander Kennels. 
And I was like, man, the hell if I'm not going to have a trained dog if I'm representing Flatlander Kennels. And it's just not going to happen. And I remember when I was talking to Chris Jamina about, because essentially we got connected. It's like, okay, I'll give you this, this litter. And he said, do you want me to train it? He was willing to take Georgie. So I would have had her for like the first six months. And then she would go back to Flatlander for, I don't know how much time, another six months. And he would train her. I was like, no, I really want to do this on my own. And his concern was, what if I give you this dog, you're representing this kennel and, and, you know, basically just think if she wasn't steady, if she acted a fool all the time. And I'm like, yeah, flatliner kennels, look, this dog's a mess. Right. And that was his concern. And so that really has fueled me to do as, do the best job I could possibly do with her. And I used Freddie King's the hunting retriever dot com TRT, the hunting, yeah, the hunting retriever. Right. Let me make sure I'm getting that. I don't want to say that wrong. Jeez. I don't, I haven't such a name. It's the retriever trainer.com. Not the hunting retriever, the retriever trainer.com. That's the system I used. And then I also had Chris on the duck on podcast and he talked with me about it and, and helped me along the way. You can hear Georgie's barking in the background. Um, but if I can get Georgie to the point where she is titled and finished to where she is considered a, hunting retriever champion, I will be so overjoyed. I just can't tell you how much it'll mean to me to know that I went through that process and got it done. And so Georgie and I have been working hard. We've been working on pattern blinds, angled casts, mostly those two things. Um, longer marks, but mostly pattern blinds. Pattern blinds, the thing with Georgie that I need to improve upon her is on her blind retrieves, and that's when she sits there. She doesn't know where the bird is. I send her. She's got to run far and straight until I tell her otherwise, and sometimes she just doesn't put it out to the distance that I want her to put out to. She just doesn't do that. So I, I just need to extend her, stretch her out. So anyway, I, I'm really excited. I'm hoping. I've got three events on my schedule uh, for finished. And if Georgie can pass four out of the six of them, I really felt like last year, uh, that when I was at these events, I went to one in Kansas, one in Nebraska, one in South Dakota. And I went and watched, especially at the one in South Dakota, I went and watched the finished events on both days. And I felt like there was a really good chance. Georgie could have passed those. Now that means she would have passed them. I know I've got some things to work on, but I felt watching those. I was like, I think that Georgie has a significantly good chance at passing these tests and she would have. So, and I, I'm not going to, I'm not, I don't think I'm testing until May. So I've got, you know, March, April, half of May. I still have like, dang, I still got like 10 weeks. So I'm really, really excited about that. So before we have Kenny on here and talk to him, and again, if you want a chance to join me on this podcast and also get all of the North American Waterfowler podcast episodes that are not listed publicly, that's freelance, that's, I'm sorry, patreon.com slash freelance duck hunting. And you can come and join us. You can get entered in the hunt giveaway for next year, which I've got big plans about that. You can have a chance to come join me and the podcast where I talk to patrons are going public. And you can be on this podcast with me. You can get all of the episodes of the North American Waterfowler and much, much more over there. Subscription to Freelance Sunsets, which is changing the North American Waterfowler app. The name's changing that. 
So check that out. But before we take a quick break, I do want to do this week's comment of the week. It's time for comment of the week. All right. This week's comment of the week comes from Phil Novak. And he says, quit water swatting. <sighs> I am not going to deep dive right now water swatting. But I will say this. Here's what I would like to have. One of you guys, and I respect your right to have this opinion, who is so against water swatting that it makes you angry and enraged, please email me, freelancestuckhunting at gmail.com. And I will bring you on here and you will and I will have a cordial conversation about water swatting. We will talk about it. If you want to get mad about it, you're welcome to get mad about it. I won't be getting mad about it. But if you feel really, really pissed off that that water swatting makes you so damn angry. Now, this guy just said quit water swatting. He didn't he didn't seem everything. But man, I'm telling you, as a YouTuber who does some water swatting, sometimes people, this is a hot button issue for people. It makes some people so pissed off off and I don't understand I don't understand what it is about that that makes you so angry so please if you're one of these guys let's have a conversation I'll bring you on the podcast we will talk about it you can lay out your full philosophy as to why this makes you so angry but I am from what I've found, from my discovery of talking to people, of trying to text back and forth, keyboard back and forth in a nice way, people that have this emotion don't have much to back it up with. They just don't. I don't like water swatting puddle ducks, big puddle ducks. I do water swat teal sometimes. The reason I water swat teal sometimes is that for some reason my whole life when I try to shoot them flushing, I miss them. I don't know why. My goal is to clean kill birds effectively and efficiently as possible and as dead as possible. And I absolutely do not buy that it's not a lethal shot. Some people say, well, all of the organs are more underwater. The head's right there. The head is right there. I cannot tell you what my what my shooting percentage, how good my shooting percentage is on water swatting. But it has to be in the 90s. It has to be, I'm telling you. My water swatting shooting percentage, I guarantee you, is in the 90s. It is the cleanest, quickest kill where pellets don't go into the meat. And I want to kill them dead and I want to kill them now. No suffering clean quick kills now i don't like doing it on mounts mallards are very easy to kill flushing i would prefer to kill them flushing that's my preference i think i know where this comes from i'm not going to go into it I, but vaguely i think it comes from when market hunting was banned and that distinguished sportsmen from market hunters which had a bad reputation because they were killing so many birds and so I think it was a way for sportsmen to distinguish a difference between themselves. We don't do that with big punt guns and 
We're sportsmen. It's not ethical. We're wing shooters, which is fine. Absolutely fine. If it's not your preference to shoot ducks on the water, absolutely support you in that to do that. I do not understand the emotion about you having an issue with me doing it sometimes. I don't understand that emotion. So please, by all means, email me, freelanceduckhunting at gmail.com. Message me on uh, Instagram, at freelanceduckhunting. Find me on Facebook. Come on here and let's talk. If you feel that strongly about it, that when you see someone water swat that you feel enraged you feel so angry let's talk about it explain it to me explain to those of us that don't get it why this is so important but you better be ready you better think it out you better think it out because you can't just say it's unethical sporting chance because i'm gonna say to you no it's not a sporting chance. We value the lives of ducks and we want them dead now. I'm not going to make my shot intentionally more difficult in the name of sporting. I'm not going to have more wounded loss in the name of sporting. You better have more than that. You better have more than give them a sporting chance. You better. And, I, and I, I'm not sure you will, but you better. You better have more than, oh, well, their their vitals aren't exposed and it's not a very high quality shot. You better have more than that because I'm telling you my shooting percentage on the water swats is probably in the 90s. I could start pe- tracking it. I'm not water swatting teal and they don't get away. They don't get away. They die. So you better think it through. And let me tell you, if you spend time thinking it through and you can't come up with more than give them a sporting chance, and you can't come up with more than um, just the phrase that's unethical, then you might want to rethink your vigor around the topic. You might want to evaluate your emotions a little bit as to why it would piss you off. If all you have is unethical, why is it unethical? If you can't answer that, You better rethink your emotions a little bit, man. Rethink them. You can't just have crazy angry emotions about clicking off a video and being so angry about people washwatering without a good reason to back it up. If you have that well thought out reason, email me, freelance.gmail.com. We'll come on here and we'll talk about it. If you can't, you might simmer down a little bit and rethink the strength of your position. Because I'm telling you, if you don't ever want to swap water swap, power to you, man. Don't water swap. Don't do it. If you want to say, well, I think that the tradition of waterfowl is that it's a wing shooting sport. Therefore, this is the way we do it as a waterfowl community. This is the way we should do it as a waterfowl community because tradition matters and waterfowl is st- steeped in tradition. 
And this is the way as a community we should conduct our business. If you want to say that, that's fine. That's a valid point. But following up to that is not angry emotion. That's where you'd fall off the cliff, man. That's where you fall off the cliff. If you're having anger from seeing someone water swat a till at 15 yards, you better start spending some more time thinking it through. Because I would be shocked if anyone emails me that can come on here and put together a valid reason for that emotion. Not a valid reason that you maybe shouldn't do it or that because of waterfowl tradition, maybe people should refrain from it. That's fine. I'm looking for the guy that's pissed. I'm looking for those of you that are that pisses you off. That's who I'm looking for. I want that guy on here talking to me. And I will treat you with respect and kindness. I'm not mad at you. You're mad at me. <laughs> and I don't water swat a lot. But I've gotten lots of water swatting comments when I'm letting my 12-year-old boy who can't hit the damn broadside of a barn water swat so he might be able to get a kill and have a little enjoyment on a duck hunt and that enrages you so bad that you gotta rip me apart on the comment section that's who i those of you that feel that strongly about it, i want someone to come on here and talk to me if you feel that strongly about it then let's talk freelance duck hunting at gmail.com email me we'll set up 10, 15, whatever many minutes you want to talk about this, you will have the floor. I will close my mouth and let you lay out your case. And then we'll discuss it. But I don't think you can do it. I don't think there's anyone that can lay out a good case as to why you should be emotional about that opinion. I don't. So prove me wrong. Again, You've got every right to not water swat. That's fine. No problem at all. If you don't like it, no big deal. If it makes you really, really angry, freelanceduckhunting at gmail.com. Let's talk. All right, man. I am going to go into a quick break here. And when we get back, we've got a really, really interesting guest. Buddy of mine from over on Patreon, one of the patrons over there. He has been around for years. He's been watching Freelance Second Hunting since season two. We just finished up season eight. Freelance Duck Hunting has been on for eight years, and he's watched six of them. That's a longtime fan. We will have him on after this break. You are listening to the North American Waterfowler Podcast. <laughs> Boat Trader, America's largest boating marketplace, offering easy financing and over 100,000 boat listings to choose from. Sell, find, and finance new or used boats on America's largest boating marketplace. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. Boat Trader is America's largest boating marketplace with over 100,000 boats to choose from. We offer simple, comprehensive solutions for those looking to sell, find, and finance new or used boats. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. All right, so here we go. We are going to have on Kenny 
Bob, I can't say his name. I'll say it in a second because I pre-recorded this. So here we go. Welcome, Kenny. Well, I am here with my Patreon guest, Kenny Begno. How are you doing tonight, Kenny? Doing great. This is the first time that I have done the Patreon podcast giveaway where once a month I'm going through all the names of the people that are with me on Patreon. I don't know if you if you know this or not, Kenny, but we spun a wheel. I put all the names on a wheel, a digital wheel, oh, and I spun it. Okay. And your your name, well, the first name that came up actually was just a blank. It came up with no one. But you're the name that came up <laughs> out of all the entries. So, so that's how I'm doing it. And I am spinning that wheel once a month and then having someone over on Patreon just I just think it's cool to get to know people, get to know their hunting life, and and all of that. So how long have you been over on Patreon with me, Kenny? Oh, I guess since your second year, maybe. Oh, my gosh. You have been around for a yeah, long time. I've been around time. a while. I've been around a while. <laughs> You've been watching the videos since ever since Dan was on there every episode? Oh, abso- that, right? absolutely. And, and uh, oh, yeah, I fell in love with your videos right away. I appreciate that. I miss those days so much. Whereas just because every hunt was just the crew. It was Dan, my dad, me, Aiden, and it just everyone kind of went their own ways. And those are the glory days. Yeah. And that's that's what I really enjoyed about it, too, is you hunting with your dad and the kids and and Dan. Yeah. And it was just fun to watch. And and also what I really appreciated was how hard y'all hunted, (laughs) how hard you worked to to hunt. Yeah, and when you get on public land, if you want to be successful, you got to go after it, you know. That's you it. You got to go after it. That's it. Go after it hard. Those were very special days to me in my life. I mean, the channel was kind of taken off, which I never expected to do. Uh, this group came together, and hunting with those guys was just just really, really special time. So I'm glad that it translated onto the video. I do have a question for you. So I released um, – I'm doing something called um, – Memory Lane Mondays, where I'm putting out a video on YouTube, Freelance Stuff Hunting YouTube channel, every single Monday, and it's just a video from the past, and I'm kind of talking about it and asking people questions about it, and in the video that I posted, I had a situation where my my son, Simeon, I think he was probably 12 or 13-ish at that time, and he was on a hunt with me, and this is about the third time it was happened. He took a shot when I didn't call it. And it was on about a swing shot at about 30 yards. There was another group that were coming in behind him. I didn't call the shot. He shot. And I, I snapped at him fairly good. I didn't scream at him, but I, I snapped at him. I mean, I, I let him know. And I had some comments from some people at the time that were unhappy with my harshness with him. And you can be full totally honest at however you felt about it. So on this on this memory lane Monday I posed the question was I too harsh in this situation? Then I'm curious Kenny, you said you just watched it before we got on here. What were your thoughts of that situation? Total honesty. If you think I was in the wrong say say whatever you feel. In first watching it without knowing the back history, it did seem like you snapped rather, you know, rough on right on him however once you went through the scenario afterwards and explained the situation fully acceptable right and you know that's a big thing about videos is that people have to understand that a hunt goes on for five six hours and the video is about 20 minutes yeah <laughs> and people draw all these conclusions from a 20 minute video and i will say about simeon 
He was a very, very. He's actually my stepson. I love him. He's twenty now. He's got a kid, a wife, and oh wow, and uh, and so he's he's a lot older now. So I guess at that time he would have had to have been like fourteen, probably, because that would have been six years ago. So he's probably fourteen time. But um, he was a very, very difficult child to raise. Um, angry often, upset often, and I am telling you, as a teacher. You have to handle kids differently based on their personality. Absolutely. The only thing that kid responds to is harshness. I mean, it's like he has the thickest skin. <laughs> you could get totally mad. I mean, I had times in my house raising him where I'm telling you I yelled too much, where I know <laughs> I lost my cool, right? But like five, it's like it's like he's wearing a raincoat to it. It just like runs right off his back, and five minutes later, he's just fine. I mean, <laughs> where if me, if my dad spoke harsh to me like that, it'd tore me up for days. Oh yeah. But with Simeon, he is just uh, thick skinned as they come, and that's just like. But my other one, Elijah. Um, oh, I've got three boys in the home, and the other two, boy, you just can't, you just can't do it. It's not effective with them. They're too sensitive, but. Simeon boy, and I'll tell you, he'll talk to you like that too. <laughs> he, he's a tough one. Okay, he's a tough one. So anyway, I want to get into 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 you and and what it is. Where do you live, and what is your calendar hunting like? Like in a year, what 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 do you do the most? How does it look? Where do you live? Just just go for it. All right. Well, I live in Lafayette, Louisiana, which is in the south central part kind of in between lake charles and new orleans and uh as far as hunting i, I public hunt quite a bit although uh my wife loves to hunt also and we do a lot of hunting together but her brother actually owns some property uh good duck property uh in Gaydon, louisiana which used to be called the duck capital of the world no longer no longer so uh Louisiana's duck hunting has been changed dramatically over the past few years. Numerous reasons. Everybody's got a reason. But, uh, you know, the agriculture has changed totally. Uh, a lot of sugarcane, sugarcane everywhere. And hmm. what was rice fields is now sugarcane, and ducks do not eat sugarcane. <laughs> so, hmm. so um, but I'll start hunting. Teal season has been Donna and I's one of our favorite duck seasons. I mean, we love to teal hunt, uh, what, it's 16 days long. And I, I think I hunted nine days this year out of the 16 um, and and had a great season. You know, I did. And uh, Louisiana in general, we had a good season this year. It's been getting worse and worse and worse every year. Last year was, was not real good at all. And that's when... For teal? Teal's getting worse and worse, or just no, duck season? No, duck season. Teal is not. Okay. That's why it's our favorite hunting season, I think. Right. You can always count on the teal being here pretty much. And and uh, so we had a good teal season. And there's things that can affect even teal season. Unfortunately, we have hurricanes. <laughs> and a hurricane will disrupt teal season. Uh, the mm -hmm. ducks do not come down, in the, or they don't. They move, you know, if there's a hurricane that comes through. But anyway, we start down here, teal season, uh, we have different splits. And I have a camp up in Marksville, Louisiana, which is 90 miles from where I live. And that's in the east zone down here. I'm in the coastal zone. So the season opens a week early. So we started off hunting the, the first week 
down here down south sometimes i'll hunt two weeks down south because generally the hunting for me has been much better down here than up there let me stop you just for a second because i want to i want to explore this idea of having a camp because uh you know out of the south at least in the central flyway having a camp is just not a thing and I, I had no idea that was even a part of waterfowl hunting. And I don't know if you heard my episode where I talked to um, Jake. He's an Arkansas hunter. And okay. they, a lot of his friends have camps on the White River. And so, and I noticed you, you said I have a camp like in a real casual way. Um, and for someone like me in Kansas, I don't even know what that means, <laughs> like to, ha- to have a camp. So kind of go through that a little bit. Like what do, what do you mean you have a, have a camp? Well, the camp, you know, my camp is just, uh, I've got about a half acre in like a little subdivision of camps. And uh, I actually have two camps. I bought the one across the street also. But the reason that what makes it a camp nice is, for instance, where I hunt up there on a federal refuge, 90 miles away, it's an hour and a 45 minute drive. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, I can go to the camp and I'm. Um, five minute drive from the refuge now, do you have a little house there or are you literally staying in in tents or? oh no no i have a i have a an rv uh, okay. a, a pull a bumper pull trailer but i've got a, a a cover built over it and i've got a nice concrete covered area in front of it and then i have another small building 10 by 20 that is storage and whatnot and um I, I love the RV because I'd had camps before, like little houses, and the amount of work I figured I was always working when everybody else was fishing or hunting. I was mm-hmm. working on the camp, and I said if I ever would have another camp, I would have an RV that this this camp is portable. And generally for the hunting season, we'd leave it in Marksville, and for a number of years, every March 1st, hunting hunting for us my archery season doesn't close till february 15th and then squirrel rabbit and hogs are still open till the 28th of february march 1st we'd roll right down to bayou de large which is south of home louisiana it's right on the coast and uh we would do speckled trout red fishing go offshore mm-hmm. for red snapper later in the year but so then we would just rent a spot down there and we'd move the camp down there to Bayou de Large because that's 120 miles from my house. So once again, okay. if you were driving back and forth trying to pull a boat and go fish, it'd, it'd be it'd be a rough trip. And so, so then they they have these little sections of land that they sell specifically for people that are hunting, fishing. Correct, correct. Especially are these little encampments are these mostly duck hunters, or is it just whatever? It's whatever, uh, you know. I do both Donna and I, my wife, we both duck hunt and we deer hunt. And mm-hmm. most of the deer hunting is archery deer hunting on the federal refuge. They do have a lottery. Uh, they call it a primitive weapon season, but it's not very primitive anymore. You know, you're shooting, a, uh, I shoot a 444 with a scope, you know, now it is, yeah. it, it, <laughs> is sing- it is single shot, but right. it, that's about, all that's primitive about it so um we we hunt a little bit of everything there and then you know uh march 1st past wednesday the fishing season you know you can't fish during hunting season on the refuge you can only duck Mm -hmm. hunt deer hunt or whatever and so fishing season opened and 
uh, nowadays I love my freshwater fishing out there. It's uh, it's not easy, but the payoff is. So this is a freshwater. This is a freshwater public marsh. Uh, well, there's not much marsh. Uh, it's it's uh, there's flooded lakes, flooded timber. Uh, you know, now down south is where we have our marshes. Uh, you know, where so you're nowhere close to the ocean with where you're at that camp. No, no, that's ninety miles okay. from the house, and then. For me to get down to the to the Gulf of Mexico, it's it's uh, depending as the crow flies. The Gulf is not far. I think it's fourteen miles from the house if you went as the crow flies. Right. But like I said, to go to the Bayou de Lars for fishing, it's one hundred and twenty miles. It's a two hour drive. So oh, wow. you know you want to go and you want a, a place to stay, and and we generally go for you know at least three days normally when we go. Mm-hmm. Uh, cause I always said, if I did not have a camp down there, I probably wouldn't saltwater fish. Saltwater fishing involves a lot more work. <laughs> clean up. How so? You know, clean up and we, we catch a lot of fish. <laughs> what, what, what's more work about saltwater fishing? Uh, generally we run a lot further. Uh, mm-hmm. if I'm going into the, into the Gulf of Mexico to fish, I've got a 22 mile boat ride just to get to the Gulf through the marsh wow you know and uh a lot more it could be easier but i bring a lot of stuff (laughs) my indian name is one who brings much and (laughs) and and so when you come in you not only have to clean the fish you have to clean all your rods and reel your tackle anything that's been exposed to that salt water your boat, huh. you know, you, you wash your boat, you you purge your engine, run fresh water through the engine, um, you know. So it's just, and generally when we go uh, with that long of a boat ride, and then and then we do some red snapper fishing, and so we get to the Gulf on a normal red snapper fishing, I'll put in a 129-mile boat, boat ride, <laughs> and you're tired. You come in, yeah, right. you're tired, right. you want to wait and clean the fish the next day, clean the boat, and so forth. But anyway, hmm. we're, we're, we're getting off the duck hunting, I guess. But uh, That's okay. But but so, yeah. And, uh, you know, Louisiana, we just don't have any off seasons. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, as soon as hunting season closed, we're going to start freshwater fishing. I already went frogging this year. Uh I've learned since COVID, I learned to frog solo. My wife used to always be the grabber. And uh, so I went last Thursday night. It was kind of a record night, not the amount of frogs caught, but in the amount of time. I caught 117 frogs. Oh, my God. In less in less than three hours by myself. Uh-huh. And what's your method of catching? You just catch them with your hands? Well, it used to be, but now I'm using uh, the old school gigs. That used to not puncture the skin, and I hated them. But I'm frogging in a different environment. I'm frogging in in a freshwater marsh, and the mm-hmm. frogs are out in in the water on top of grass. And so this this gig, um, when you would use them on the land, when you'd hit the frog on the land, you'd have to immediately jerk back quick to time it for the arms to close. Because if they just hit the land, uh, they wouldn't close, and the frog gets out. <laughs> so huh. there's art okay. to timing in this water you just push it down you, you just hit them hard you don't have to jerk back 
and so it makes it much easier. And then on YouTube, uh, a guy turned me on to two new uh, methods, one with that same gig, tying a piece of rope to a small cord to one of the arms and then back to an eye bolt on it. And so to cock the gig, you're pulling back like a bow and arrow. Mm-hmm. And it's much easier to open it. And then when I catch a frog, I go and stick the frog and the gig in the ice chest. I pull back on the rope, and the frog's off, and I'm ready to catch another frog. Okay. Now, I've only been frog gigging one time, and we – I don't know if you saw the video. There's actually one video on my channel. Yeah, I did. It's been a while. And Right. And it was really fun. And we used uh, – Aiden had spears with, like, a three-prong. Yeah. Um. Is there any problem with that method? No. In in Louisiana, it used to be you could not puncture the skin of a frog. And so, Why is that? So that was illegal. Uh, growing up, they told us the frogs could get what they called red leg, was some type of infection that, that could get someone sick if they ate it. Today, oh. you can puncture the skin. What I didn't like about those three prongs, and, and look, I've got numerous tools. Oh, my dog just came in. Maya. <laughs> That's all right. Um, so I've got numerous tools. And in fact, my, my youngest stepson has a YouTube channel, How We Hunt. And okay. we did a frogging video on it. So if if you Google on YouTube, How We Hunt, uh, uh-huh. and it's, it's um, I think it's just frogging tips or something, but... We've got multiple different tools we use for a different situation in the frog. You know, if, if I'm okay. frogging and there's a levee and there's a hard bank, I'm not going to use that gig I used the other night. I'm going to use right. one of the other tools. It might be a pointed gig. It might be a, 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 a net that we use on a long pole. Uh, various methods. So I'm on that YouTube channel right now. He, he's mainly been a deer hunter. Uh, most of his stuff is deer hunting, but, uh, this year he did more duck hunting than deer, yeah. deer hunting. I'll take, I'll tell you, he only has 22 videos and to have, uh, over a thousand subscribers on only 22 videos. That's really good. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Well, um, that, that's, that's certainly interesting. How, how do you cook your frog legs? I didn't really care for the frog legs because I don't like. I have a weird texture issue. Okay. Where like shrimp, crab, if it's spongy, kind of spongy meat, I don't care for the texture of it. Yeah. And so frog kind of fell in that. I didn't hate it. I ate it, but it kind of fell into that like shrimp kind of spongy texture for me. So I didn't care for it. But how, how do you how do you cook it? Uh, we pan fry them a lot, just real mm-hmm. simple in 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 butter. Uh. Yeah. A little bit of, you know, seasoning, not a lot of seasoning, a little bit of flour, and we pan fry them in butter. Now, last weekend, we deep fat, you know, we deep fried them. And they they, right. they were delicious. And I, I love fried food. My body doesn't so much <laughs> nowadays, you know. Uh, right, right. So, uh, you know, and, and one thing, if, if there's any other froggers out there, one thing I learned about from frogging, too, is that I do different than a lot of people. Growing up, we take the frogs, we come in, we whack them on the head. You keep them in a frog basket, kind of like a fish basket or, mm-hmm. or a sack. And right. and you come in and you take them and you whack them on the head on the table before you clean them. 
And in, in doing that, I'd see these frogs just tense up. Their legs stick straight out, their arms, they kind of shiver. And I said, man, we tough. We're making the meat tough. So I started, mm-hmm. what I do is I have a nice chest, 100 quart with a, uh, the small lid on it, which I've made a gasket for. But I, I fill that with crushed ice. And then when I get to where I'm going, I bring a five-gallon thing of water, and I'll pour water in it to make a slush. So I'm putting those, those frogs on ice. The next day when I go to clean them, uh, they're not dead, but they're lethargic. They, and, and when you, you go to clean them, cut the head off, they do nothing. You know, hmm. and we've done side by side tests with frogs done both ways, same size frogs, everything. The difference is, is huge in th- really? being a tender frog. Now, the texture part of that, too, is how long you cook them, I think. You know, if, if you uh-huh. cook them longer, they're going to get a little, t- you know, more firm. Yeah. Something you may like. And it's uh, we catch a lot of pig frogs. Um, we'll catch bullfrogs also. But in the marsh, it's mainly pig frogs. We go in the Chaflaw Basin, it's bullfrogs, not pig frogs, maybe a few. And the pig frogs are a smaller frog, smaller legs, but I find them much better. I, I love the texture of them. Um, mm-hmm. With the big frogs, the texture issue, that's the one thing I noticed, too, because uh, Saturday night, we fr- or not this Saturday, before, we fried them with uh, some bull, big bullfrogs and the pig frogs. And there was def- I've never heard of a pig frog. I'm looking at the range. It definitely looks like it's a uh, southern to east southern frog over there, Florida. Their throat, their throat is there. yellow underneath. Okay. And right. uh, this, there's a size limit on bullfrogs in Louisiana, which is five inches. Hmm. Big frogs mm-hmm. is three inches and three. And look, I keep small frogs, <laughs> but three inches, my God, I can't. <laughs> that's tiny. Right. That's tiny, yeah. so there's almost no limit on them, uh, and there's no number, yeah, look. no number limit. I mean, uh-huh. people go out. The one of the best years we had, Don and I, we made two trips, and we caught 252 frogs one night, and I think 217 the next night. Wow! So, how much of what you consume is wild game? Uh, a vast majority of it. We wow. we live out of our freezes. That's main thing: hunting, fishing, hunting. Uh, I've never been a big trophy hunter. You know, I've killed mm-hmm. big trophies, but uh, I'm, I'm a eater. <laughs> yeah, I'm a eater. <laughs> and you know, this year we put five deer in the freezer. I told Donna and Tyler, my wife and my stepson, I said, "You take care of the deer this year. I'm doing the ducks." And uh, uh-huh. I mainly duck hunted till the very end of the season. And this was the first year without the property her brother had up at Sicily Island, which was a phenomenal, not only uh, deer, but duck also. And uh, uh, killing deer, we, we normally might put seven deer in the freezer, you know. So, Oh, my, my uh, goodness. Yeah, it, but it's still been a great year. We had to add another freezer this year. We've got two huge chest freezers. we got two refrigerators with extra freezers. We got another freezer this year, and we have a freezer at the camp in Marshville and a freezer at the camp in Gaydon, <laughs> which has ducks in Gaydon. I've got a hog. Uh, we hunt hogs. We kill hogs. Uh-huh. Uh, and I even uh, harvest roadkill hogs. <laughs> now, to do that, do you have to contact somebody? To 
Or can to get a roadkiller? Or can you just take it? Uh, with a hog, there's no problem. You don't have to contact anyone. Because I know here in Kansas, like so if someone's going to do that with deer, you've got to contact. Yeah, deer. Deer's the same here. You know, and and I, uh, I'll call the game warden or the refuge manager, and and they say fine. You know, normally, but uh, you know, funny story. How many hogs do you guys? Oh, go go ahead. I want to hear the story. I want yeah, to talk to you more about the hogs. It, it, it wasn't this season, but last season. Uh, it was the last week of the season, and we were having dinner at friends' camp. And and uh, before eating, we were saying the blessing. And I just mentioned to him, I said, you know, I really think I'd rather shoot a hog than a deer because we need another hog in the freezer. And so uh, my buddy, he's given the blessing. And he says, and dear God, please provide Kenny with a hog. He didn't say mm-hmm. shoot. He said, please provide Kenny with a hog. And that morning early as before we're leaving, my buddy calls me and says, Kenny, this, it was 28 degrees. He says, there's a big dead hog right where you hunt in the road, right where you go in from where you hunt. And I said, oh, man. So I, had to, I got up, hooked up the trailer, went and harvested the hog. Now, since then, while I was picking up that hog, another neighbor drove by and said, you killed that? I said, no, it's roadkill. He said, boy, I wish I would have known you wanted a hog. He said, I, I, I threw 11 away yesterday. He traps hogs on on a right. local uh, hunting club and farm, and the hogs uh-huh. destroy the crops. And right. uh, so now I have access whenever I want a hog. If I don't kill one hunting, I just call Greg and say, hey, buddy. <laughs> and, and, yeah. and I provided him with frog legs. <laughs> right. We, right. So we did trade. a trade. So there's some things that you're saying that are foreign to me. I've been in Kansas my whole life. We don't have hogs. Oh, um, thank goodness. <laughs> right. And so do you, is it a real problem, the hog it's a huge. There? It's a huge problem. It's a huge problem. They reproduce probably worse than rabbits, and they take over the habitat. The farmers hate them. Um, they, they compete for the same uh, food as deer. So mm-hmm. with the increasing hog population, the deer population generally decreases. They actually will kill a deer and eat deer. Really? Yes. Are you serious? I'm serious. I had no idea. Frogs, I mean frogs. Hogs, you know, in hunting them, you've got to be careful too because they they mm-hmm. will go after you uh, hmm. and they can tear you up. Now, these hogs are not native, right? At some point, they were released. Is that right? Honestly, I know most a lot of them were released, and and I think they were probably you know just regular hogs that that went wild. I'm assuming, but honestly, I can't I can't say if there was a native population of hogs. I know hogs eat snakes, and mm-hmm. I'm told when I was younger, a lot of the hunting clubs uh, brought in hogs and released hogs intentionally mm-hmm. to. Uh, get rid of the snakes because they eat the snakes. If you're in an area where there's a lot of snakes, and in fact, I saw something in, in New Orleans East after the hurricane, uh, there's been a huge problem with rattlesnakes and hogs. And they say the rattlesnakes in that area have learned to not rattle because if they rattle, the hog's going to come eat them. Really? Yeah. That's fascinating. Yeah. So it's a, how big of a problem. So is there how big of a problem are the hogs? And do you hear any? Is there any silver lining down the road? Is a, they might be able to get a handle on the problem? 
uh, <clears throat> they've been working on different things, ways to try and be able to poison them <laughs> without mm-hmm. poisoning the deer and all the other critters. And I'd heard something a couple of years ago about that, but I haven't heard anything again recently. Um, you know, is their goal just to eradicate them? Well, or at least get them under control, you know, and they keep moving into areas they never were hogs. Mm -hmm. You know, my buddy hunts in the Chaffly Basin and, uh, for years and years, they've never had hogs there. They wound up with hogs across the river, but they were on the island and, this year, he said, we're full of hogs now. <laughs> They've crossed really? over. So, um, I mean, they'll they'll have like 16 piglets, you know, in a litter, right. and they breed twice a year. Wow. So, I mean, it's hard. In Texas, they should, and here in Louisiana, actually, uh, Wildlife and Fisheries uh, actually brought in helicopters from Texas, and they have sharpshooters, and mm-hmm. they've been shooting them in down below Venice, Louisiana in the marshes because they destroy they destroy the marshes um i uh uh, used to hunt duck hunt with a a friend of mine and they had a private lease and the individual owned 60 acres of land and brought in uh a number of hogs a dozen hogs or something let them go on his 60 acres and they've ruined that marsh ponds that you know it's right on vermilion bay which is brackish salt water depending on the time of the year and these hogs wallowed trails from the freshwater duck ponds to the canals and bayous that let the salt water go into the freshwater marsh, and it's changed the marsh. Uh, hmm. You know, it kills the, the, the food, the native food, uh, mm-hmm. when you change that. So uh, it's, it's just, and, and, and in no time, in no time, it went from, you know, a dozen hogs to 300 hogs to 900 hogs right. all in the area. Yeah. And, uh, so you can shoot them anytime, however many you want, eradicate uh, in any way necessary. Well, not any way necessary. They, you know, it depends where you hunt on private land. Yes, they hunt them at night with night goggles, mm-hmm. night vision uh, on private land. Now, on the federal refuge where I hunt, it, it's really crazy because the way the law reads, after deer season closed, I can still go rabbit and squirrel hunting, but I can't go hog hunting. I can shoot a hog incidental to to rabbit or squirrel hunting, but you can't flat out go hog hunting. Now, I don't know why that is. Uh, one year, when, when a prior manager, after the hunting season, they did allow, they did have a, a one day where they had a big hog hunt because normally you can't shoot rifles, you can't shoot uh, lead shot, and they allowed that on the refuge to try and eradicate the hogs. Well, they killed, I think, I don't know, 38, 40 hogs. Well, that's nothing, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. Now, I can remember years and years ago at, at Thistleway, a uh, state management area, that it was overrun with hogs. But a disease came in and wiped them all out. So maybe we'll mm-hmm. get a disease. Maybe it's COVID. Yeah. Uh, but they're back now. It, it knocked them down for a number of years, a long, a, a long period of time. But, but they made their way back. How good is the meat? Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. I prefer it to uh, store-bought pork. It, right. It's, it's you know, it's very good. Uh, you know, but like with any wild game, too, when you clean it, you know, I wear uh, nitrile, those blue gloves. I, I took, Speaking of those blue gloves, that's one thing I'd sent you something about a number of years ago. 
But I wear those during duck season. You know, you buy them at uh-huh. Harbor Freight. Although my wife says I'm ruining the planet, so she made me start buying <laughs> some biodegradable gloves for twice the price. <laughs> but I wear those gloves for cleaning all my wild game. Uh, uh-huh. In fact, I've got a good friend of mine this past year. His hands started rotting, and his he wound up losing all of his fingernails on both hands. He went to two different dermatologists. They told him he had eczema. He finally went to a third. They did a blood test. It was an infection from wild game, from the deer or the hogs, from cleaning without without gloves. So uh, I wear them when I clean. I've never heard of anything like that. Yeah, I clean them with my. I I I even clean my ducks with those gloves. But but what I was going to tell you, I always see y'all hands getting cold. I wear those things, and then I'll wear gloves light gloves over them and it's amazing how well it can keep your hands warm compared to no gloves really? oh yeah absolutely yeah you need to send me a link to that again i don't the, I, don't, the, I don't have that the memory. wind the wind does not you know the wind wind doesn't get through and i wear them too mainly because i have huge problem in the winter i used to mm-hmm. with my fingers cracking splitting open hmm. by the end of the year right. it was so painful it hurt so bad and mm-hmm. I haven't had a split finger in years now wearing mm. those things when I hunt and out in the weather. That's interesting. Tell me about alligators because that's Ooh. another thing to me that is completely I, – I can't tell you how many times I've been in a marsh at night and just think, I am so glad we don't have alligators Oh, b- believe me, be glad because we got <laughs> we have so many alligators. You know, they want the endangered species list, and so they started bringing them back, and it, it it's gotten out of control. In my opinion, I mean, I, I called and talked to the state alligator person last year and uh, didn't get a very good response. But I said, you know, where I frog last year, of course, the water was super low. Terrible year for frogging because of that. But the amount of alligators is thousands. Mm-hmm. I mean, you drive and you just see them everywhere. My wife and I went crabbing at Rockefeller Refuge, Federal Refuge, and you couldn't go 50 yards without seeing an alligator on the bank. Now, we, we ran almost an hour in the boat, and there was mm-hmm. alligator after alligator after alligator on the banks. And not babies. <laughs> it's some big ones. How big do they get? They, oh, they get they'll get like 12, 12 13, 13 feet. Now, on Lake Ophelia, where I hunt, in the lake, the biologists claimed there were two that were 16 feet. Mm-hmm. And uh, growing up, when Tyler, my younger son, that has a YouTube channel, we, we were bow hunting and we were going in. Well, one day we went in, his mom and I were in a canoe and he was in a little 10 foot otter kayak. And that 16 footer got right behind and tracked right behind that kayak. And, oh, wow. and it's like, that's eerie. But I went to take him hunt one day and we got to where he was going to get out the boat and that big gator was on the bank. And I mean, when he mm. went into the water, it's, it's just incredible. To, you can't imagine how big this thing is. And right. and he he wouldn't get out the boat, and and I don't blame him. And uh, I said, no, this this is good because no one else is going to hunt here. <laughs> 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 and and really, uh, for a number of years, I had the place to myself hunting back there because nobody would hunt there because of the alligators. And I had one event one night that scared me. I I was hunting in in a spot, and it was a narrow spot. And I wanted to hide the canoe, and there was some uh, cut grass weeds out in the in in the pond, but it was shallow. 
So I hid the canoe in that grass <laughs> and I walked in and hunted. And that night when I came to go walk out to my canoe and I shined the light, it was nothing but alligator eyes. And it's like, <laughs> okay, I didn't plan for this. Uh, between me and the canoe and literally i had to walk through fortunately it wasn't those 16 footers they were mainly small ones but it was it was kind of kind of eerie you know do do people get attacked and killed by alligators down there rarely rarely there was a man uh in the in slidell louisiana and uh he got eaten by an alligator after uh recently after one of the hurricanes Mm -hmm. and uh but that's that's very rare. I've got a friend that hunts public land, one of the areas I hunt, and he's been bitten twice on his leg through his waders. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. Didn't you know? Luckily, it wasn't a big enough alligator to drag him off or whatnot. But it did require medical attention. Uh, so they and it wasn't just that he stepped on him; they were trying to attack him. I, I don't know what they were trying to do. You know, I wasn't there, but yeah. but uh, I've never I've never been attacked by an alligator and believe me i've been around plenty of them i've seen plenty of them and uh right. haven't been attacked and it's something you kind of take with the territory in teal season you don't hunt with a dog you don't want to yeah. some people do have you heard of dogs being oh, killed by oh, oh absolutely lots lots of dogs lots right. of labs have been hunting and non-hunting dogs i'm sure both correct right right correct and uh uh they, they, in fact, they killed a big alligator right here in the Vermilion River in Lafayette. That thing was probably at least twelve foot two, and I heard that, and he was living right near. Uh, uh, we call them coolies, like a ditch of water that went up in through some subdivisions. And I heard when they when they cleaned them, there was a number of dog collars in wow. in the gator's stomach. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> oh, it seems terrifying. They they seem like dinosaurs. I mean, I've never seen one. I've been oh, really? south a couple of times. I've never seen one. I would like to see. Oh, one. Well, you Just, come down any time. Come one. down any time. I can take you to see plenty of them. <laughs> you know, I do not desire to have them in my state. You know, now <laughs> now now one good thing about the alligators too is they make a great sauce pecan. <laughs> so I've, I've eaten plenty of alligator and. uh it's it's not it's not like uh i don't know if you ever watch seen swamp people but uh-huh, I have. Yeah. you know when my when my girls were young i took them alligator hunting i had uh a trapper where we duck hunted and he had alligator rights and i would go with him mm-hmm. and i would skin the gators for him and in return i would get all the meat mm-hmm. and he would sell the hides and i took my girls and i mean we never experienced any of that thrashing and everything. We pull the the line up very slowly. The head of the gator would come up. You'd pop him in the head with a twenty two. Game over, you know. So you feel like swamp people maybe over? Oh, absolutely. Dramatizes what it's like. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because I'm not saying it can't happen, anything. but I think they they a lot of that's drama for TV. It doesn't have to be that way. Right. Right. Yeah, so. It's a good show. Have you ever seen um they've got Louisiana it's like a it's a it's a reality show about Louisiana wildlife and parks managers. Have you ever watched that? The the the, the wildlife and fisheries LA yes, LA yeah. law whatever. You know yeah, I, right, I think right. I've only seen one of them. One one or two of them. 
I got into watching all of those. I'd be, I wish you'd watched more. I'd be curious as to what your opinion was on, because they have quite a few duck hunting episodes where they're out, you know, trying to bust people doing stuff duck hunting and whatnot. And I find that a pretty entertaining show. I didn't know how real to life you would, because you know, reality TV, you don't know. No, reality TV is always, you know, uh, one of my one uh, a friend of mine and a client. Uh, he was the buyer of all the alligator hides in Louisiana. Mm-hmm. And he mm-hmm. said they came to him and they wanted him. They wrote a script for him to be an outlaw doing this illegal stuff and all. Really? And he's going, are you crazy? Yeah. That was Swamp People that did that? Yes. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, a lot of this stuff is just scripted. I mean, it's like all the Alaska TV shows who were some of my favorites. Um, mm-hmm. And oh, what's the name of the one? But they make, like, if they don't kill a deer, they're going to starve, you know, right. and all this uh-huh. stuff. But it turns out they live 20 minutes outside of Homer, Alaska. Now, they got yeah. grocery stores. They got elect- They A number right. of times you'll see the power lines in some of the film, but they're showing right. their, you know, they got to. Are you talking about the Alaskan bush people? No, no. That I watched that when I watched all of them. Oh, yeah. the one his daughter was Jewel. The singer, the folk, the singer from years oh, ago. She was a famous singer. That one. Uh, yeah, Alaska, yeah. the last frontier. Okay. I think that is it. Alaska, the, no, Alaska, the last frontier. That's a different one. But you know, Louisiana is kind of like there's all these shows in Alaska, and one of the reasons is they have film credits like Louisiana. That's why mm-hmm. some things get filmed in Louisiana. They get tax credits. They make it okay. lucrative to come film here. Huh. So tell me a little bit about you've got an accent and I can tell you have a and I don't know correct me if I'm wrong, Creole? Cajun. That's the word I'm looking for? Cajun. C- Cajun. But I hear you've said a couple words that sound like that kind of French mixture in it a little bit. So what is your um nationally like your Heritage. background accent? Uh, right, right, right. Well, for down here, I really don't have much of an accent. <laughs> but, it's not real thick. It, I can it's real, it's it real can thick. be real thick. And both sides of my family were true Cajuns. Okay. okay. My mother was an arsenal, and my seventh great grandfather uh, was uh, Louis P. Arsenal. And if you've ever heard the story of Evangeline, uh, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a book, uh, but a love story. But anyway, supposedly the, it was written about him, my seventh great oh, grandfather, wow. and uh, my my father on the Begno side, uh, you know, also um, direct descendants from Nova Scotia. You know, they were exiled, mm-hmm. sent down here to Louisiana, and learned to okay. make a living here. And uh, you know, it, but it's. It's a, it's a wonderful place to live. I couldn't imagine living anywhere else. Lafayette is true. Yeah. A wonderful city. Uh, the And what makes it is the people. The people, family, yeah. friendly. Uh, you know, and good food. Right. <laughs> right. A lot of wild game. <laughs> yeah. And, and Well, I think we're going to kind of wrap it up right here. Do you have anything else that you um, kind of want to say before we cut it off? Yeah. Uh, no, oh, I got a lot of stuff I could say, but no, we better we 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 better cut it off. But uh, but yeah, I'll have to get you down here to Louisiana, 
You, I can show you some well, alligators. If my schedule frees up. Well, I, I've got to get to the point where I don't have to teach anymore. And once that ho- happens, I'm going to travel all sorts of places. Okay, and that's something that we can do, you can do in the off season. You can come here. Right. And we can go fishing. Right. Oh, I would love that. You know, I would love it. Uh, we'll have to look into something. Yeah, like the fishing, fishing, freshwater is cranking up. My stepson Tyler has the, the How We Hunt channel. He just bought a, a, a right. camper trailer also to bring down the okay. large this summer so we're getting we're getting all fired you know, up we try to do a lot of times we'll do a, a fishing trip in in the spring um, we normally go north but um yeah we may have to talk about that because that sounds like an adventure i've never been on and i'm interested in seeing some alligators oh, i can and... show you parts of louisiana <laughs> you won't see on a tour <laughs> right right you know so well, great. Elliot. Well, we're gonna wind this. We're gonna wind this down. But I really, really appreciate you coming on here. We end up talking for about forty-five minutes. Oh my so, God! You'll have to edit. Uh, <laughs> no, I don't think so. I found I find all that really, really interesting. When I talk to people that live in places and experience places that are really foreign to me, that's when I'm the most interested. Because I mean, Kansas is just mild. There's nothing here that can kill you. There's nothing. <laughs> I mean, it's like it's soft and mild compared to places like like where you're at I, so. I made one hunt in kansas uh went to independence kansas okay uh deer hunting but i wished i would have been duck hunting too I, I i brought my father-in-law he had open heart surgery and i did the hunt trying to get him to get in shape <laughs> right. for the hunt right. and but it, it was a great trip and uh i always said we go back but then again never enough time to do all the things you want to do, just like you're saying, I, I have more time now than I did. So I'm doing more, yeah. more stuff. I appreciate you coming on and sharing everything with us and appreciate you at Patreon. So thank you so much. That is Kenny Beg- Begno. Begno, correct. So man, that was fascinating stuff. I just love talking to guys that, live in areas that are foreign to me in my mind. And I know when I travel South times, I've been through those areas. I've been into Louisiana. I've been through Florida, not a lot. I've been through Texas, but those places seem, they might as well be Mars to me. They seem so foreign to me when I see videos of them, alligators, hogs, people with that thick, thick accent, (laughs) all those trees and that weird mossy stuff that hangs down. It seems foreign to me. And I love talking to guys that live in those types of places. So what a fantastic guest Kenny was. Thank you. If you want the chance to be on this podcast with me, if you want a chance to be entered in the hunt giveaway and to come hunt with me, if you want to see all of the episodes, because no some are video and watch this show recorded live and get all sorts of extra content. I've been putting extra content. I've got like, I don't know, 200 posts on there. I've, got, I've been putting on on extra content. You can see extra content that I was putting on there in 2016, 2017. I mean, it's, it's like a big cache of extra content. Freelance Duck Hunting. Patreon.com slash Freelance Duck Hunting. So that's all I have for you today. This has been another episode of the North American Waterfowler.
Spend your Saturdays with life on the water. Join Captain Brandon Simmons for fishing, diving, travel, and so much more. You want to succeed. You want to fish. You want to be one of the greatest. Oh, look at that thing, dude. Wow. Oh. <laughs> Let's see what kind of trouble we can get into today. Don't miss life on the water. Every Saturday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. <laughs> the destination for outdoor entertainment.